Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. 1 Samuel 11 and 1. Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh-Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve you. And Nahash the Ammonite answered them, On this occasion I will make a covenant with you, that I may put out your right eyes and bring reproach on all Israel. Then the elders of Jabesh said to him, Hold off for seven days that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel, and then, if there is no one to save us, we will come out to you. So the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and, to- and told the news in the hearing of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Now there was Saul coming behind the herd from the field. And Saul said, What troubles the people that they weep? And they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard this news, and his anger was greatly aroused. Whenever it says, though, whenever it says a people encamps against another people in the Bible, that means we're setting up to launch an attack on you tomorrow. And when they encamped against them, that's pretty confident. That's, it's not a sneak attack. It's like, look up that hill over there. There's all these guys setting up. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to come fight you soon. They're not worried about it, are they? They're pretty confident. But the men of Jabesh-Gilead, they looked for a way out. Do you see that? They asked to do a covenant. Let us have some time. And the guy actually let them have it. That's pretty confident. Let us have seven days. Sure. (laughs) Take it. We'll see what happens. He knows he's going to beat these people. But they basically offered a pledge of themselves to be slaves to the Ammonites instead of going to war with them, probably because the men of Jabesh-Gilead knew they could not win. Why were they so quick to try to make a slave covenant with the Ammonites? Why not fight? Because there were not very many people of Jabesh-Gilead. There's very, very few of them. They just didn't have the numbers. They didn't have enough people to win. And so they sent word to King Saul, and he got extremely, extremely angry over this. Now, why? Why did Saul get sparked to anger so hot over this? There's more going on here than just some people are coming to attack some Israelites. There's a lot more behind this. And that's why I'm going to take us back a little bit. And so we've got to go back in history to find out, Why did this rub Saul the wrong way so bad? Now, like I was talking about earlier, a bunch of you were with me when I covered the book of Judges, and I want us to recall some events that went down in chapters 19 through 21. And a quick summary of this, without you having to go look it up, I'll give you a quick summary of what happened there, was that there was some wicked Benjamite men. They showed up, and they wanted to have sexual relations with a Levite man who was traveling through their territory, but 
they raped this Levite man's concubine instead. She got pushed out the door or something. It was wicked on that guy's part. It's like, no, you can't have me, but here, take her. Bad all the way around. And they raped her, and she actually died from it. The Levite man told the rest of Israel about this crime, and the Israelites were so infuriated about it that it sparked a civil war, and the 11 tribes all went to war against the tribe of Benjamin because it was Benjamites that did this to this woman. They went to war to punish the Benjamites for this crime. And the result of it was that they almost completely, totally destroyed the entire tribe of Benjamin over it. I mean, they just about wiped them out down to nothing. They trimmed them down to the nub. The tribe of Benjamin almost became extinct. The only reason that they didn't kill them all off was because the Israelites grieved for the tribe of Benjamin. They knew that Israel had to consist of 12 tribes. There's a lot of prophecy. There's a lot of promise in the fact of 12 tribes. And they're like, well, wait a minute. We just about killed all of Benjamin off. We have to have 12. And it grieved them a lot. And so they killed all but 600 Benjamites. That's all that's left of the entire tribe of Benjamin. What tribe is Saul of? He's the tribe of Benjamin. Okay, so they killed off all but 600. They left them alive purposely just so that they could continue the tribe's line. But you may remember in that study, there was one other problem. (laughs) Only 600 Benjamite men survived, but all the Benjamite women were dead. They're all gone. How do you continue a line with just, men, with just the men? How can the tribe continue? So I want to show you here in Judges 21, verse 6, what they did about it. It says, Now the Israelites grieved for the tribe of Benjamin, their fellow Israelites. Today one tribe is cut off from Israel, they said. How can we provide wives for those who are left, since we have taken an oath by the Lord not to give any of our daughters in marriage. See, they got so mad, they vowed, we'll never give them our daughters. Now they need women. They're like, well, we can't break our vow. Ugh. Now what do we do? <laughs> it's just like, you're, the more they try to do things about this, the worse it gets. So verse eight, then they asked, which one of the tribes of Israel failed to assemble before the Lord at Mizpah? They discovered that no one from Jabesh Gilead, ding, ding, ding. See that? Who, who came up against Jabesh Gilead? The Ammonites. It's Jabesh Gilead here. So When they got together to discuss this crime, everybody showed up but the people of Jabesh Gilead. So it says, they discovered that no one from Jabesh Gilead had come to the camp for the assembly. For when they counted the people, they found that none of the people of Jabesh Gilead were there. So when this Levite man said, look what they did to my wife, here's what they tried to do to me. All the people were summoned to hear about this crime, and they were infuriated about it, but they just happened to notice nobody from Jabesh Gilead showed up. It's like, well, we don't care. So they were so mad at the Benjamites, they they were not going to give their own daughters as wives, and that was was a quick vow to make. They shouldn't have done that. And uh, guys, it, it was just a messed up few chapters. Very messed up. It's what happens when man gets angry. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And the more they tried to do, fix something, the worse it got. So they got this problem. They had to give these, get these wives. So they said, let's solve the problem by taking it out on the people of Jabesh Gilead for not coming to the assembly. And so as punishment against the people of Jabesh Gilead, the Israelites now went and attacked them. We're just attacking everybody today, aren't we? They went and attacked them and killed them except for some of the women who had never been with a man before, to give those women as wives for the last surviving Benjamite men. 
They figured this would keep the tribe of Benjamin going. And guess what? Obviously it did. Because Saul's still here. So that means Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, did survive. And now knowing from what happened in the book of Judges, you can see that Saul was a descendant from those 600 Benjamite men. Those last surviving Benjamite men, Saul had to be a descendant from one of them. And one of them came down from a line from a Jabesh Gilead woman. He's a direct descendant of these people of Jabesh. And now these people who are about to be taken by siege by the Ammonites here in in 1 Samuel 11. So I think it's highly likely that these people of Jabesh Gilead were Saul's ancestors. He has a direct lineage from them. They have to be the line that produced him. You can understand, I think now, why Saul got so angry. Because his line was almost snuffed out. His family, his tribe, his clan almost got completely taken out. They had to bring this emergency Jabesh Gilead women in to keep the line going. And now he hears the people of Jabesh Gilead are under attack. Yeah, you bet he's going to get mad. This is a whole lot more than just people are messing around over here. This is my line, he's thinking. So I think we can understand when we read 1 Samuel 11, verse 6, it says the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard this news and his anger was greatly aroused. Now I see why Saul got so angry. He's taking this very, very personal. The people of Jabesh Gilead are trying to make a treaty to spare their lives. And the only treaty that Nahash the Ammonite says he's going to make is to gouge out their right eyes so that they'll be a disgrace. They're just begging for their lives here. Yeah, I'll make a deal with you. How about I gouge your eyes out, insult you? This guy Nahash is an insult to Saul on more than one level. And I'm sure that if anybody resisted him, Nahash would just kill him anyway. So he's not really striking up a deal with Jabesh Gilead, I don't think, here. He's just here to mess with them before he kills them. So the people ask for seven days, and Nahash gives it to them. Do you see that? Yeah, sure, take it. <laughs> Wait a minute. If you're here to wipe the people out, then wipe them out. Nahash is, I think, just there to have a little fun. He, but Nahash thinks a seven-day deal is nothing to worry about. So he thinks, oh, yeah, take seven days. That's overconfidence. He does not know about Saul. And when Saul hears about Nahash, he gets angry and the Spirit of God fell on him. So anyway, 1 Samuel eleven seven. So he took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel to battle, so shall be done to his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. Now, that's a pretty hard hit for Israelites because they need their oxen for their fields. That's their living. It's basically, look, if you don't join in and help, I'm taking your job away from you. I'm taking your your survival from you. Get out here. And that's what you call an attention getter. And he got it. And what Saul did here is eerily similar to what the Levite man did after his concubine was murdered. I want to show you. Judges 19.29. This is that Levite man. When he reached home, he took a knife and cut up his concubine limb by limb into 12 parts and sent them into all the areas of Israel. This is just a thing they did, guys. I don't know. This is what angry guys did. Uh, Apparently, it was a method of the time, a way to rally people up for battle. This this has got to stop. 
And what do I do to get people's attention to show them how graphic this is? Well, I'll show them graphic. And that's what they did. Now, we got to figure that Saul is a new king. There is no organized army. There's no formal, organized, established military yet. What's he going to do? He cut up these oxen and sent them out. He needs to make an army quick now. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and so they rose up to rid themselves of oppression. 1 Samuel 11 and 8, When he numbered them in Bezek, the children of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said to the messengers who came, Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have help. Then the messengers came and reported it to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will come out to you, and you may do with us whatever seems good to you. So it was on the next day that Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and killed the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it happened that those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. And it says that Saul arranged the men into three companies, and then they beat the Ammonites. He was confident, wasn't he? Remember Nahash? Oh yeah, take your seven days. I'm just going to gouge your eyes out. I I mean, he wasn't worried about it, but they killed him. In other words, Saul's military strategy worked. It worked. Now, isn't this the same Saul that was hiding when it came time to set him up as king? Now, all of a sudden, he, he wins. People doubted him. He doubted himself because he was from the smallest family of the smallest tribe. Remember when he said, I'm from the smallest family, smallest tribe? Now you know why they were so small. Yeah, this is the same guy. This is Saul that did that. So how was Saul able to pull off this military victory? That's my question when I study this. How did he do it? Chapter 10 says that God had given Saul a new heart and he was given new understanding. Saul is seeing with new eyes. How did he know to separate the the military guys into three companies? Because the Holy Spirit of God was directing him how to do it. The Lord gave him this instant experience on his royal silver platter. So this was a big victory for King Saul. The Ammonites were a pre-organized army. They were already established. They knew how to march. They knew how to get there. We're encamping. They got all the systems in place. And here Saul just scrounged one up in less than seven days. When you consider that Saul's army had just been slapped together. And not only that, where does it say these men assembled? Look at verse 8. It says they came together in Bezek or Bezek. Where were the Ammonites at? What people were they threatening? They were threatening the people of Jabesh Gilead. So how far? I had to look at a map to find out how far away did they have to go to get to Jabesh Gilead. I don't know in miles, but it was more than 15. So you got a bunch of guys who've never fought before, just slap together, put them in three companies, send them out. we got to march over 15 miles and you beat the army. I'm sorry if I'm showing up after 15 miles of walking, I'm already tuckered out. I'm tired. These Ammonites were chilling. They were resting, and here come these guys of Saul's and wiped them out after traveling all the way back to Jabesh Gilead. Guys, the cards were stacked completely against Saul. I want us to all recognize how big this military victory was, how improbable this victory was, how miraculous this victory was. I want you to see how big it is because it's going to resonate with what Saul says next in 1 Samuel 11 and 12. 
Then the people said to Samuel, Who is he who said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring them in that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. Look at the way people are reacting. They're so happy. Anybody that dares think that Saul shouldn't rule, let's kill him. We don't need people like that around here. Saul is it, man. You are it, dude. So what this victory had done, it absolutely convinced everybody that Saul is their new hero. He's basically the new hero of all Israel. Forget God. We want Saul. We want Saul, the new hero of Israel. And they all held him with the king of Israel with such solidarity that the people said they would kill anyone who questioned Saul's authority. This big victory had totally cemented Saul into the minds of the Israelites that it's going to be hard to dig him back out again. He is in there. They want him. Now the Lord told Samuel that Saul would save Israel from their enemies. You remember that? Guess what he said? He goes, this king is going to save Israel from their enemies. And now guess what? Now he did. It's happening just the way the Lord said. And even Samuel steps into the party here in 1 Samuel 11, 14. Then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they made sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. I think Samuel really sees what's going on. And I'm about to do my best to try to show you what's really going on here. In the previous chapter, Saul was hiding when they were throwing the lots or however it was, they were trying to determine which clan, which family. Remember, they narrowed it down, narrowed it down, and it just happened off all on Saul, and he was hiding. Okay? So they went through all that, but now everybody's so pumped up, and they're like, man, we need to set him up as king again. So they went and set him up as king again. This time we need to do it proper. And it was such a big party. It says all the men of Israel rejoice greatly. Woohoo! party time. But wait a minute, something ain't right about all this. I mean, I know that originally God said, no, I don't want you to take a king. And they said, yes, we want a king. Something's off. I'm having a problem with all this because I still have the Lord's warning still stuck in my head that he had given them. What God told them about this king right after Israel dumped God for wanting a new king. He told them, he said, this king is going to take everything away from you. He's going to take your land. He's going to take your property. He's going to take your sons. He's going to take your daughters. And he's going to take them for himself. But the Lord warned them, on that day when you cry out to me, basically when you realize what a messed up guy this king is, by the time you wake up and cry to me, God says, I will not listen to you. In other words, you have your warning now. Get right now. But I'm not going to listen when you finally realize what went wrong. I was thinking about this message. I could have stopped the message here and I could have made this big application story about how the Lord can take somebody with no experience, turn them into a skilled warrior, and that would have worked. I could have talked about how when God puts His Spirit upon you, you become able to do great things. I also could have talked about experiencing victory in the Lord even against those who are mightier than you are. Like the Ammonites were greater than the people of Jabesh Gilead, yet here come, and even Saul and his guys, yet they still won anyway. I could have ended it there, but I knew there had to be more to it than this. There's a bigger picture. If I ended the sermon like that, most people would not know the the wiser 
And they would totally miss the bigger picture that's hanging over this story like a dark cloud. So I have to go further and tell you what's really happening. So hear me out as I close this up. Don't miss this because it's too big to ignore. Guys, I have to preach the Word of God as it is written. I can't just hunt for warm fuzzies. Remember, God gave Israel a very stern warning about Saul. What did Israel say to the Lord on that? When he says, you don't need this king, what did they say? Remember, they said, no. They told God, no. Give us a king. Parents, when you tell your kids to clean up your room and they go, no. What does that do to you? You're like, I'll show you no. (laughs) God is going to show them no. They said, no, give us a king. And Samuel even warned them about this more than once. If they push this, then God is not going to hear them after the king abuses them. The people actually said verbatim. They said, no, we will have a king over us that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Fight our battles, they said. That's what they want. We want a king that will go out and fight our battles. What did Saul just do? He went out and fought their battle. And so why did God enable Saul to beat the Ammonites even under impossible odds? Because that's my question. Why did God enable Saul to do that under impossible odds? Because the Lord just gave Israel exactly what they wanted, didn't he? When the people want something out of rejection, God, we don't want you. We want this. God goes, okay, now you got it. That's what's going on here. That's why Saul was able to beat the Ammonites. Saul fought their battle. And he won big time. And so now they are so fully convinced that Saul is so great that this means that the Lord had just turned them over to judgment for rejecting him. Do you all see this? This is what's going on. They're setting themselves up for judgment and they're running straight into it. Yeah, we want it. You see that? I want to show you 1 Samuel 7 and 10. I want to remind you of some things that happened. 1 Samuel 7 and 10. The Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. Who fought Israel's battle here in seven, chapter 7? The Lord did. God did it. He completely took care of it. Who saved Israel from their enemies? The Lord did. So what's with this change here that Saul is suddenly leading the people to victory? Let's not forget about 1 Samuel eleven nineteen. He says, but you have today rejected your God who himself saved you from all your adversities and your tribulations. And you have said to him, no, set a king over us. That's a problematic statement, guys. Who saved Israel from every adversity and tribulation? The Lord God did. And now in chapter 11, God enabled Saul to win a big military victory just like Israel wanted. You want it, you got it. God enabled Saul to win just like they wanted. Do y'all see what's going on here yet? If you read Romans 1, it talks about God's wrath on the unrighteous, on those who willfully and deliberately reject God. You can see here in chapter 11 how Israel rejected God repeatedly, and so God gave them up. And now through Saul, they're being drawn right into judgment. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. 
We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.